The book of Genesis lays out the foundation for all of Scripture, allowing us to see God's handiwork in creation, man's rebellion in the fall, and God's global judgment in the flood. These three events in history have changed everything that once existed in perfection, and the consequences remain with us today. But just how has the world changed since that time? And what is it we can learn from these events that can help us know God better, especially when many today are denying that God even exists? Welcome to this week's broadcast of Science, Scripture, and Salvation from the Institute for Creation Research. This month we take a closer look at what happened in the early chapters of Genesis and why those events matter to us in a three-part series titled The Case for Creation, presented by Dr. Henry Morris III. Genesis and the account of creation, the fall, the worldwide flood of Noah's day set the stage for the grand narrative of Scripture, which reveals God's plan of redemption through the Creator Himself, Jesus Christ. Join Dr. Morris now in part two of The Case for Creation. When the Bible speaks to scientific stuff, if God is real, if He created them, it's got to be accurate. So when he gives us natural revelation, it's going to give us information about himself in a way that everybody can understand it. It's not limited to the technically trained. It's not limited to any period of time. It's really about everything. It's a constant message as long as the creation exists. It's a message that's available to everybody. It's a message that's observable everywhere. Somehow or other, within the last hundred years, there's been this idea that only scientists can understand the creation. But just simply not a presentation of Scripture. God says the things in creation are available for all of us. They are seeable and understandable in a way that all of us can see and understand who God is. It's an intuitive background rather than a technical background. This is important. When the psalmist says every day has knowledge, or every day has speech, and every night has knowledge, there is information available, but there's no words. Psalm 19 says there's no words, but there's a sound, there's a message that goes everywhere. In contrast to the message of creation, which Psalm 19 starts on, it then switches very quickly and says, but the law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. That is, the natural revelation has informative data in it in things that all humanity can see and understand, but God's words now, those are the things that are perfect. Those are the things that teach. Those are the things that convert. The message in the natural revelation, it's available immediately after creation and available for everybody, but it's limited to this, it's like a signature written across the heavens that says, God's here. But the words have to come from revelation in writing so that you and I can begin to think through and understand what God has provided through his written record. We're stuck with this choice. And here's what we're going to be dealing with initially the rest of these time together. Do I have the right to decide what God means? When I talk about my choice, is it a choice 
to determine whether science rules over scripture? Is it a choice whether my reason rules over revelation? Is it a choice where my experience goes over the teaching of scripture? Is that a choice that I really have? Or more accurately, is God dictating to me? Which of those two do we deal with? How do we answer the question, which presuppositional platform will I base my decisions on? We'll talk about this more a little bit next week, but what you believe impacts how you think. How you think dictates what you do, and what you do determines how you spend your life. So this presuppositional issue is foundational. And we're going to try to address at least the basics of this this morning from my presupposition that the Bible's God's revelation to me about himself. John MacArthur has said that the first verse of Bible is the first test of faith. In the beginning, God created. Can't prove that. Can't reproduce it. I often tell our scientists who are bright guys and they're always trying to understand some of the mechanics that go along with the creation work and what we can test and measure today. I keep telling them, look guys, you'll never ever understand how God did this. You can see some of the results of it. You can begin to, based on the presupposition that he did create, you can measure the predictions and the accuracy of your predictions, but you'll never know how he did it. So it all begins with a presupposition. Now, I will tell you frankly, my presupposition is that God did exactly what he said he did. So I'm going to be examining that presupposition, but I will also expose you to some of the contradictory issues so that you'll begin to see why the arguments become pretty important. This morning I want to focus primarily on that first chapter of Genesis, the one that talks about the creation itself. On the first day, what we're told in Scripture is that God created the universe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When you look at those three nouns, the beginning is time, the heavens is space, the earth is matter. So in the beginning, God created Space, matter, time. Okay, that's, that's the best way to put it in, in scientific terms. Time is an interesting concept. We know virtually nothing about it. We just know that we live in it and function by it. We set our lives by it. We tend to understand it as coming out of the past, going into the present, and moving into the future but it's exactly the opposite. It comes from the future into the present, into the past. But we don't really understand all the things about time, but time is very much a part of what we are. And, and think of the way we identify what God did. We call it a universe. Are you with me on this? Uni meaning one, verse meaning different. Space, matter, time. We'll talk about this a little bit more next week, but in the beginning, God did this space, matter, time thing. He also tells us that the earth was, well, pardon my translation here, goopy. No shape, no, no things in it. It was just, a, it was, well, the Hebrew says tohu and bohu. That, that's a, if you want to insult somebody, tell them they're tohu and bohu. 
It just means they have no value, nothing in them, they're worthless, they're shapeless. Now when God brought this stuff into existence, it was just a goop, kind of a watery stuff with no shape and no focus, no direction. Tohu and bohu, and it was dark. Now here's an important thought for you to think about. God is light, L-I-G-H-T. In him is no darkness at all. So prior to the creation, there was nothing but light. Think about this just a minute. If God exists in the light to which no man can approach, when we see all the information about God and his triune majesty, it is light. So the first thing God had to create was dark. He had to do something that light was not present in. When the Hebrew talks about space, he uses the word for stretchedness or stretched outness. Isaiah says something like, he stretched out the heavens. I don't understand any more than you do, but in some, some way, God, God made a condition where there was no light. And in that darkness, he put the stretched outness of space, and he put the goop of earth, and he gave it a clock time in the beginning. All of the references in scriptures to in the beginning are really just in the beginning. That's the start of things. That's one of the greatest mysteries of all science. How did it get started? We come up with, in a non-God story, the Big Bang. Now, that's one of the more popular ones today, but even that's in disfavor now because they're beginning. <laughs> John reminded me of this the other day. Scientists say to themselves, in any theory, you're allowed one tooth fairy. <laughs> but the Big Bang has about 30 tooth fairies in it. So when you begin to deal with these things that you cannot test, you cannot reproduce, you cannot put in a test tube, you can't, you can't figure out. You just have to presume. So God says in the beginning, at the start of things, I created the heavens and the earth, and it was dark, and it was shapeless, and it was empty. By the way, the Hebrew word for create is the word bara. Every time you see it in the Old Testament scripture, the only subject of that verb is God. Man is never the subject of bara. There are two other verbs in the Creation week, the word for make, asa, and the word for sculpt or form or shape, and yatsar. A man can do both of those. Man can make, man can shape, but man can't create. When we talk about man creating, that's a bad use of the word because God took nothing and made something out of it. That's what the Bible tells us. It's an unusual word, very unusual word. So in the beginning, God creates, makes dark where there was no dark makes space where there's no space, makes matter where there was no matter. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was dark, and that presence, the deep, the, the goop, we're told that the Spirit of God was involved on this. He moved. Uh, the word
word there is translated in other places, flutter. We might even translate the word vibrate. It's the idea that there was something going on by the person of the Holy Spirit that involved a shaping, a, 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 a doing process on this dark goop that began to shape it in a way that would be later usable. Oh boy, this is it's not stretching your imagination, you're just not thinking. But he says, on the face of the deep, the Holy Spirit was moving around and he was doing something to this watery matrix. There are a couple of references in the scripture where light now becomes inserted into this darkness. The first command we have recorded in scripture is that word, let there be light. We know from the Gospels that it's referring to the Lord Jesus himself. I am the light of the world. You remember that? Um, every time we see the work of the second person of the triune Godhead, he is identified as the spokesperson. Remember his, his title in John chapter 1? The Word in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He is the one who was doing, implementing, saying, commanding. That's very clear from Scripture. Book of Colossians, book of John, book of Hebrews all say he was the one doing the creating. Creator, Judge, and Redeemer, the New Testament is clear. Jesus Christ is Lord and Creator of all. You've been listening to the second broadcast in our three-part series on The Case for Creation by Dr. Henry Morse III on Science, Scripture, and Salvation. For over 40 years, the Institute for Creation Research has been exploring, defending, and teaching the wonders of God's creation through scientific research, graduate education, and innovative resources designed to help you understand and maintain confidence in God's Word. And during the month of January, we'd like to let you know about a brand new audio resource from ICR titled, The Genesis Record Audio Series. This 10-disc box set features the teaching of ICR's founder, Dr. Henry Morris, in a vintage recording of his signature series on the book of Genesis. Call 1-800-628-7640 to order your copy today or visit online at icr.org. Ask about a free subscription to our monthly magazine, Acts and Facts. Join us next week on the same station for part three of The Case for Creation. Thanks again for listening to Science, Scripture, and Salvation.